Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Chuck Duncan, and you are listening to Sober Radio right here on AM 1590, FM 95.9, WCGO, and nationwide through the Smart Talk Radio Network. I thank you for joining us this morning. We've got a great show lined up, and uh, I hope you are into the throes of a wonderful holiday season. Uh, And today's show is going to be a little bit pertinent about that because it's uh, the beginning of a new year, and what we're going to be talking about is the beginning of a new life. Uh, And this morning, I am very, very happy to introduce our guest, Steve Palmer. Steve is a well-known restaurateur and principal at the wildly successful restaurant group known as Indigo Road, and... uh, He is responsible for conceiving and operating some of the nation's best restaurants and happens to be a recovering alcoholic and addict. And uh, Steve, welcome. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on the show today. Absolutely. Steve's got a new book out uh, that I would encourage all of you to grab. If you're listening to this show, you've got at least a passing interest in alcoholism and addiction and recovery and all that goes on in between those lines. Steve's book is called Say Grace. Uh, It's living sober in an industry ravaged by addiction. And uh, it's from Forbes Publishing. It's available from Amazon uh, in both Kindle and hardbound editions or wherever fine books are sold. So I would encourage you to uh, grab a copy of Say Grace by author Steve Palmer. And... uh, I'd like to get into a little bit about, uh, you know, while involvement in many industries makes participants prone to alcohol and drug abuse and addiction, uh, the, food and bev- uh, the food and beverage industry is, for obvious reasons, one that uh, you know, kind of leads the way in that. In addition to the high pressures of performance, performing routine job functions that are perpetually steeped in alcohol and stress, uh, you know, stress is a big contributing factor. Uh, the availability to alcohol uh, and the need for stress reduction and camaraderie uh, plays a big role in it. Uh, are uh, you know make the food and beverage industry very prone to alcoholism, alcohol abuse, uh, heavy use, and uh, other addictions. And uh, Steve is not a stranger to that. Um, and we're going to get into his story here in just a minute. Uh, but I, you know, I, I want to encourage those that are listening, uh, first and foremost, if you or someone you know uh, is concerned about yours or someone else's uh, alcohol or drug use and abuse or addiction, get help. Do not be afraid to raise your hand and acknowledge that you cannot solve this problem on your own. There are literally millions of men and women out there who are more than happy, more than happy than you will ever understand to help you and guide you and lead you up that mountain. And uh, in my own experience, and I'm sure Steve's is no different, drugs and alcohol are often used to calm one down, quiet the noise in our head, make us feel better. It helps us numb the fear, the anger, sadness, emptiness, loneliness, Uh, A lot of feelings that I particularly did not know that I had. I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know why it was. And I used alcohol. Uh, I I was not a druggie. I was an alcoholic. And uh, I used alcohol to to, to quiet that noise, to calm myself down, 
to numb myself, to make myself not think about the things that were bothering me. Uh, addicts and alcoholics, you know, typically aren't aware of what those triggers are or might have been. Uh, only that alcohol and drugs uh, is a very quick way to quiet those things down. Uh, uh, it's usually not until we seek recovery that we begin to learn about what those factors might have been and more importantly, how to come to terms with them, how to address them, how to learn to live with them and accept them as part of who we are. Uh, my guest, Steve Palmer, whose story isn't really all that unique in the recovery world. We all, we all kind of end up in the same place. Uh, but Steve's story bears spreading because it's a very powerful one. Uh, it began with social drinking in his teen years and through a crazy death-defying ride, ended fortunately with recovery and the foundation of a food and wine industry-specific addiction support group called Ben's Friends. And uh, I'm going to ask Steve a couple of questions so we can get into his story. Uh, Steve, the emotional trauma you know, plays a contributing role for a lot of people that try to anesthetize themselves with drugs and alcohol. If you could, and, and I know the story, I read your book. Uh, and it's a great story. It's a great read. But if you would, tell our listeners a little bit about your background and uh, how that background led to your own use, abuse, and addictions. Sure. Uh, well, you know, I was I grew up in suburbs in Atlanta. Was had what you would call quote unquote a normal childhood in my early years. Uh, but then my father, my father died tragically at ten years old when I was ten. Uh, he had been terminally ill for about four years prior to him dying, and during that time, his father, my granddad, sort of stepped in and was. You know, took me to my football games, took me, did all the dad things. Uh, he was uh, diagnosed with lung cancer and uh, was dead nine months after my dad died. So went through an early childhood trauma of sort of losing both of my, both of my heroes and my male role models. And honestly, by 11 years old, I was drinking. And, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of alcoholics talk about, well, I drank okay for a while. I was an alcoholic from the minute I ever put alcohol. I mean, I, I was drinking liquor straight out of a bottle at 11 years old. And uh, so my my path into drugs and alcohol was fairly quick. I was doing drugs by 12. Um, you know, and I was, I was just, um, I was so traumatized by the loss of my, my father and grandfather. My mother, uh, accordingly afterwards, suffered a nervous breakdown. And so I, by 15 years old, I was homeless. I was living in an abandoned house. Uh, and, and just really my family unit just completely deteriorated with been two or three years, honestly. Um, and that, you know, led me down a path of, uh, I always say I never met a drug I didn't like. Um, I, I was addicted to cocaine. I was addicted to, um, to, to alcohol and, and, you know, ecstasy and all the things. And, I, you know, somewhere in all of that, in my late teens, early 20s, I found the restaurant business. And, and I, you know, the tagline of my book is how the restaurant industry saved my life because it it really honestly kind of saved my life twice. Uh, the first time was, um, you know, I say this all the time, 
restaurant people are the most generous souls. There is uh, there is an acceptance. There's an inclusion in that industry that, you know, simply if you're willing to work hard and, and you're willing to be a part of the team, that it really doesn't matter what your background is, socioeconomically or otherwise. Uh, and it was the first time at 19 or 20 that I sort of found acceptance. I found, um, you know, dysfunctionally, I found people that drank like I did. So there was that acceptance. But 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 having been homeless and gone through all the trauma that I went through, um, it was the first place I ever felt like I belonged and felt like I was good at something. I loved serving people, still do to this day. I love being a hospitalitarian. Um, and, and, and so set on a course of, of a career that ironically, even though the drugs and the alcohol just kept getting worse and worse and all of the consequences of DUIs and all of the things that, that everyone in addiction is so familiar with. I kept getting my career on the outside. I kept getting promoted, kept getting a bigger job. I was an advanced level sommelier studying for my master sommeliers, uh, the exam, um, had, we was working in world-class restaurants but the whole time I was I was dying inside. I was I drank through a marriage. Um, I, my life was was just a complete mess. I was drinking seven days a week, um, and and but but of course, for the most part, uh, in the restaurant industry, I, I wasn't any different than anyone else. So my behavior wasn't alarming really to anyone. Um, that was just what we did. That was the camaraderie that you spoke of. You know, the, the restaurant industry is different in that we get off at 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And, um, and, and so happy hour for us is at midnight. It's not at, it's not at five in the afternoon. Sure. Um, and, 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 you know, and so, so there, there are different elements uh, that are, that are happening at one o'clock in the morning than there are at six o'clock in the evening. <laughs> um, but there, you know, I mean, there's a lot more drugs around. Uh, it's sure. just, it is what it is. But, but, but within that sort of subculture of a restaurant, it's this, you know, enormous stress mixed with adrenaline, right? I mean, you 300 people, you serve 300 people on a Saturday night is stressful, but there's also a high that comes with it. Yeah. Um, and then you're you you spit out onto the street and you grab those same people and let's go go to the bar yeah. and there's something wonderful about it. Um, it's very inclusive. Yeah. You know, it's I, I I've often said it's kind of like joining the circus. You know, once <laughs> once you're in, you're in, and uh, and it, and it's a wonderful circus. By the way, I, I absolutely <laughs> love. I mean, the restaurant business has given me a life that I could have never imagined. You know, but, it, uh, it's funny you, you sure. say that because, uh, and there's an irony there that uh, you and I both gravitated towards an industry or towards industries that uh, where that's okay. Uh, alcohol use, sure. excessive alcohol use is okay. You know, it's not really overtly encouraged, but it's accepted because it's part of the deal. In my case, in the radio business, I was hired to take clients out and entertain them. And I don't right. know if if my alcoholism came as a result of that or if I gravitated towards that business because of my alcoholism. 
because, you know, I'm, I'm taking people out and we're, you know, we go out for drinks at five o'clock at the end of uh, making calls. And then we go out to dinner, we drink, and then we go out drinking. Uh, and the company pays for it all. And it was awesome for an alcoholic. Uh, so, you know, I, I still question the, the chicken or the egg concept. Did I become an alcoholic because of that or uh, to, to feed my disease that was already in full bloom? Uh, and in your case, you know, it sounds like you may have been in the same situation where you were drinking at an early age and drugging at an early age. And then you gravitated towards an industry where that is you know, somewhat acceptable. Yeah, and that's sort of my I choose the latter. That is, as you said. It's a well-debated theory, you know, Disney, does the restaurant business make you an alcoholic? And, you know, I never would ever speak for alcoholics as a whole. Um, but my story is that I, that, that genetic predisposition uh, was already there. Um, certainly, I found the playground where it was accepted and also where I could make a living um, because, you know, my teenagers were pretty rough. I mean, I... You know, I, I it was uh, homelessness, sleeping on couches. So, so as crazy as that environment is, the restaurant business can be, and I'll get to that later. I'm happy to say it's changing. Um, I was still able to. It provided me a financial stability that I had not experienced in my life. Sure. And so, it, it truly it did save it saved my life the first time, and then and then the second time is. A more obvious way. I, I came to work one day. It was 2001, uh, and the owner of the restaurant and the chef called me into an office, and they said, um, "You have a choice today. Your choice is you can clean out your office or you can go to rehab. Wow. Uh, but you're going to decide right now." And and I, of course, my alcoholic nature. The first words out of my mouth were, "You know." Can I, can I walk around the block and I think about it and there was a bar about a hundred yards away from it. And I was thinking, I just need to go get a cocktail. Sure. Is, you know, and, and I, I say this all the time. It's the only disease that tells you you don't have a disease. Yeah. You know, cancer patients are not walking around saying I don't have cancer, right. but millions of alcoholics are walking around saying I don't have a problem. And I, I, I think about that day, uh, all the time. Yeah. I, you know, had, had I not said I'll go get help, yeah. uh, we wouldn't be on the phone right now. I'd be dead. Well, and that's um, that's the hard part is knowing you know when that time is. And fortunately, you had friends who made you do it. We're talking to Steve Palmer, author of a book, Say Grace. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, you know how he got well. And uh, you're listening to Sober Radio here on WCGO AM 1590, FM 95.9, nationwide on the Smart Talk Radio Network. We're going to be back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. My name's Chuck Duncan. You are listening to Sober Radio right here on WCGO Radio AM 1590, FM 95.9, and nationwide through the Smart Talk Radio Network. We're joined this morning by Steve Palmer, a well-known, highly regarded restaurateur. 
uh, principal in the Indigo Group, and uh, now becoming well-known uh, uh, alcoholic and addict. Uh, Steve has been in recovery for uh, almost two decades now, and uh, he, like I, uh, has a tremendous amount of gratitude uh, because we get an opportunity to live a second life. As you hear me talk about on Sober Radio, the most important thing I hope you get out of this program is to know that if you or someone you know needs help, do not be afraid. Do not be embarrassed. Get over the stigma. Do not be afraid to raise your hand and say, I can't do this by myself. Uh, It only took me 35 years to come to that realization. Uh, But the, the morning that I came to that realization was the greatest moment in my life because it has allowed me to live a life that up until that time, I never thought I was entitled to live. I did not think that I was one that was supposed to be happy and peaceful and calm and joyous and free. I just felt that alcohol was going to be my thing, and I was going to die going down that way. And uh, uh, in reading Steve's book, Say Grace, I know that he's had the same experience. One of the, one of the points that we get to, if we're lucky, uh, and we're going to get into this a little later with Steve, but one of the points that we get to, and I say if we're lucky, is we get to a place where we can't do it anymore. We raise our hands and we're done. And that's different from the thousands of times that every morning that I woke up and said, I'm done. I quit. I can't do it anymore. I can't live this way anymore. And I would quit. And two or three hours later, that disease would be banging on my head saying, hey, way to go, man. You've done it. You've actually quit today. Today is going to be so different because you've quit. And to celebrate the fact that I would quit, I would have a drink. And then I'd be off to the races again. And we live in this thing called Groundhog's Day where you wake up every day and it's the same thing over and over. And that went on for me for five years. And I finally woke up one day. I'd had a bizarre spiritual revelation that I'll tell another story another day about. Uh, But that was it. I finally had the courage to walk into a group that, turned out to be people that thought and lived just exactly the same way that I did. And I know from reading Steve's book, Say Grace, that he went through the same thing. Um, But I want to talk about the recovery aspect because that's the scariest part. Because as Steve was talking about before we went out of the last segment, alcoholism is the one disease that tells us we don't have it. It tells us it's okay to have another drink because you're not an alcoholic. And the hardest thing we have to do is to come to terms with the fact that we begin to wonder about, geez, if I quit drinking, I'll never be able to drink again. And I'm going to cut loose my very best friend. Alcohol was my best friend. And I had to say goodbye to it. And I had to go through a period of mourning at the loss of my best friend, alcohol. And that's a scary thing to think about. And I had learned from the very early days of my recovery that I just had to take one day at a time. I don't have to worry about the chaos of my future. I just have to deal with today. I can't fix what happened yesterday. All I can do today is try to be more responsible, learn how to live a different way. Steve went through some very harrowing experiences in his teen years uh, through, quote, you know, rehab facilities. And Steve, I'd love for you to share a couple of those stories, if you could, about what those facilities were like and 
I mean, how absolutely insanely cruel they were, uh, particularly for a young teen that was going through what you were going through at the time. Sure. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think the positive, Chuck, is that, you know, we're, we live in a world now where recovery, we just know so much more about recovery. We know, you know, I think that the, the social stigma erodes every single day. Um, but in 1983, uh, you know, for those old enough to remember, Nancy Reagan <laughs> just started to tell us to just say no. And yeah. that was the way to sobriety said that just say no. And, uh, of course, if you have the disease, that doesn't work. <laughs> but, um, I was, uh, I was abducted and I use that word because I was held against my will. Um, there was sadly, uh, an organization called straight. There was three or four of them around, uh, I think Virginia, Florida, and Georgia. Uh, and it was this idea of, um, peer pressure recovery. Um, so graduates of the program would, would, were essentially running the rehab. So untrained, unlicensed, un, <laughs> uneducated, um, kids. I mean, they, they truly were 17, 18, 19 years old with, with one clinical doctor, you know, to, to slap their license on the door. Yeah. Um, and it was recovery through uh, intimidation. Uh, I was waterboarded, and I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. Uh, before we even knew what that term was in our society, I was waterboarded repeatedly. Uh, I was physically abused, all with the um, the understanding that once I admitted I was an alcoholic and an addict, that they would stop. Right. And I was 13 years old, and so you can imagine. You know, uh, and 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 it wasn't a twelve-step program; it was a seven-step program. They they had sort of mutilated all that was holy at that time and and manipulated it to their own sort of program. Um, and I and Chuck, here's the even crazier thing: I was there fourteen months, and that was considered a short amount of time. Unbelievable. Um, wow. And uh, my sister, my sister was there as well. She broke out physically broke out. Mm. Um, many people did. I've, I've, you know, I, I sadly have friends that are dead that were there. Um, it was a really, really misguided, um, sort of scare your kids into being straight kind of, which, which as we know, totally ignores (laughs) what we know today is that if you have a disease, it's a disease. It's not a moral issue. It's not a, willpower issue. It's not a, you know, I love this saying, I know you've heard it. We're not bad people trying to get good. We're sick people trying to get well. And, 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 and so all of those things were not in play in 1983. I was a bad kid who just needed to be abused into sobriety. And, um, so obviously that didn't work. And as soon as I got out, I started drinking again. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and it was, um, I, I, but I, but I had gotten just enough of the recovery in my head that when, as I mentioned before the last break, when the last intervention, when it was presented to me, um, you know, I, 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 I went, I said, yes, I'll, I'll go get help. And I remember riding uh, in the car up to Asheville, North Carolina to the rehab facility I was going to, which was an amazing experience, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, 
I didn't even really think I could get sober. I thought I was uh, constitutionally incapable. I thought that uh, how in the world can a restaurant person get sober and stay in the restaurant business? I uh, I didn't. I had never met anybody that worked in the restaurant business and didn't drink and do drugs. Yeah. So I, I didn't. I wasn't on my way to rehab in November of two thousand and one, thinking okay, this is the time, this is, I was on the way and I was just tired, I was broken. Um, and, and I thought to myself, you know, I'm not sure that this will work, but I'm sure that I'm going to do everything that I'm told. Yeah. I'm sure that I'm going to do every, every suggestion. If you said to me, go stand in, your, in the corner on your head every day at noon, 30 minutes, I literally would have done it. Yep. Um, and and so I think, as many before me would say, it was the willingness at that point. I didn't even know what the end result was going to be. I wasn't sure I could stay sober. Um, I didn't think I was good enough to be sober. But I um, I knew that I was going to do whatever I was told. And and I say that all the time. I got the gift of desperation. Yep. And uh, and I'm just so happy that I it it saved my life. Literally, the gift of desperation is what saved my life. One of my favorite, uh, I, I, I hate to call it a term, uh, uh, identifications, I guess, is probably better. Uh, I was fairly early on in recovery, and I heard the traditions being read. And all of a sudden, I heard this phrase, incomprehensible demoralization. And these bells yeah. rang in my head, and I thought, my God. I know what that is. I know exactly what that is. And I'd That's never right. heard the phrase before, and I could never really identify exactly where I had lived for so many years. But when I heard that term, I thought, that's it. That sums it up in two words, incomprehensible demoralization. Um, and, you know, having lived with that for so many years without knowing what's wrong, just that something was wrong, something was off. Uh, but to hear it encapsulated in two words that, I mean, even today I, I speak and I do things and uh, I, I tell normal people, I, I use that phrase and they look at me like I've got horns growing out of my head because they can't conceive of what that must be like. And, you know, when, when we get into... And, and I know there's, I mean, there are thousands of different ways to recover and methods and systems and theories and all of that. Uh, and, you know, whatever, whatever one works is the best one for whoever is trying to get sober. Uh, right. I, I, I have been a, a, a longtime member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I don't use that term or that world to invite people in, you have to make your own decisions about what you want to do. I can't tell anybody if they're an alcoholic, they've got to make that decision on their own. Um, but when, you know, when we get into a, a, a group or a recovery facility or a rehab facility that clicks with us and we begin to learn who we are, it's an amazing experience to begin to peel back those layers of the onion and uncover you know, exactly who we are, why the noise is there. And and then we learn how to deal with the noise and how to, you know, come to grips with it. And, uh, you know, sadly, in your case, you went through some horrific rehab 
experiences. But as you said earlier, it, it planted the seed, and you began to think about, you know, what if? Um, and you got that gift of desperation where you were willing to do anything you were told to do uh, because you understood incomprehensible demoralization. And I always think of Andy Dufresne and the Shawshank Redemption when he, you know, he, he crawled through 400 yards of fetid human waste to get to the clean river to get out of prison. Uh, and I, I felt like if somebody had said to me early on, you got to crawl through that, okay, where's the hole? I'm going. Uh, I would have done anything I, would have, I was told, and I did do anything I was told um, to get the gift that I've got today. Uh, and I didn't know it was a gift until today. <laughs> so it, it's amazing to come to terms with those things. And, uh, you know, you're, you're fortunate that you got to the point that you're at, um, as we all are, that have had a day in recovery to begin to realize that we can live without it and uh, how we get to live without it. Um, one of the, you know, one of the things, uh, and I, I talked about it a little bit, uh, there, there are more traditional spiritual and holistic recovery processes. Uh, you and I share them. A lot of people out there do. And as I said earlier, while this show is not designed to promote Alcoholics Anonymous, it's the world that I know, and I thus use that as my own experience in recovery. So I talk about AA a lot. Uh, there are many, for, for those of you out there listening, understand that there are many different treatment options available, uh, but the, the first most critical step is to come to the realization that you have a disease. It's not willpower. Steve talked about that. Uh, there is a thing that we read called the doctor's opinion that tells us it's a disease and that it's not a matter of willpower. If, if I'd been able to say, well, I'm done drinking, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have gone through the experiences that I went through. Uh, working with others is a really key part for me of staying sober, as I know it is for a lot of alcoholics. Uh, and it gives me a great deal of gratitude to be able to help other people and to watch them get well as I got well. When we come back, we're going to talk about another very critical step that Steve has been involved in uh, that uh, is a very important thing for you all to hear about. So we're going to take another quick break. We'll come back, and I want to talk about that with Steve. Uh, this is Sober Radio on AM 1590, FM 95.9, nationwide on the Smart Talk Radio Network. My name is Chuck Duncan. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Sober Radio right here on AM 1590, FM 95.9, WCGO, and wherever you may be nationwide through the Smart Talk Radio Network. I'm joined today by Steve Palmer. Uh, Steve is a very highly respected restaurateur. He's a principal at the highly successful restaurant group, the Indigo Group, uh, and he also happens to be a recovering alcoholic and addict. And he's got a great story. 
You can read all about it in his new book called Say Grace. It's available through Amazon. You can download it right now. In fact, that'd be a, as soon as you're done listening to the show, go to Amazon and download it in Kindle. If you've got a Kindle, if not, order the hardback or go to your favorite bookstore and pick up a copy. It's a great book. It's a great read. Uh, and while you're going to you know, read a story about uh, the trials and tribulations of an alcoholic and an addict and what he went through to get where he is today, uh, more importantly, uh, I'd like you to read it because it's going to give you hope that regardless of how far down the scale you've gone, uh, you don't have to treat yourself this way anymore. Uh, as you hear me say on every show, if you or someone you know is in trouble and needs help, get it right now. Today, right now, this moment is the best time to try to get help because the more you prolong it, the worse it gets. This is a progressive and sadly, oftentimes fatal disease. I know I've been to way too many funerals and wakes in the last 12 years. I know Steve has, and that's one of the sad byproducts of alcoholism and addiction. People die and it breaks our heart because we want to help them. And, uh, as I mentioned before, we came out of the last break, uh, uh, for me, service work has been a very important aspect of my recovery. And it's, it's primarily because I was given a gift by other men and women who wanted nothing in return. Uh, I didn't have to pay them. Uh, they simply wanted me to feel the happiness and freedom from my alcoholism that they experienced. And they gave that to me for free. Uh, my cost in getting that gift is to help the next person. And uh, I don't have a contract. There's nothing that says in order for you to keep your sobriety, here's what you have to do. I've learned through practical experience and watching others that the best way for me to stay sober is to be involved in my recovery community, help others, do things that make me feel grateful. And every time I talk with an alcoholic, I am reminded of where I used to live, that place called incomprehensible demoralization. And the fact that today my wife and children love me, they trust me, they respect me, they admire me. Uh, I'm accountable. I do what I say I'm going to do. And those are things I was incapable of doing before I got well. Um, in Steve's book, Say Grace, he talks about uh, a, a dear friend by the name of Ben Murray and uh, what has happened as a result of Steve's experience with Ben and how that ended and how that began a new beginning. Uh, so, Steve, if you would, uh, tell us a little bit about Ben and the impetus for Ben's friends. Sure. So, so Ben... Chuck Ben was a chef that worked with us. Ben and I had known each other for 20-plus years. Um, had drank together, done drugs together, and we had lost touch. Uh, and, and three years ago, a, a mutual friend said, hey, Ben has cleaned up his act. If you ever need, you know, an extra set of hands in your company and, and you know, in our business, in the restaurant business, cleaned up your act can be a pretty wide range. So I didn't, you know, I didn't ask a lot of questions. Um, I needed help. I was short staffed opening a restaurant in Florence, South Carolina. 
Ben showed up. He was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. Uh, he worked 18 hours a day. I never saw Ben take a drink. Hmm. Um, the word depressed and Ben are absolutely two words you would have never put together. Wow. Uh, he always reminded me of Dean Martin from oh, the Rat Pack. Always had a joke. Always was in a good mood. Um, hmm. And what we didn't know is that Ben was going home and drinking in his hotel room every night. Um, he had, uh, what I would later find out when I had to call his mother, uh, he had been in and out of detox six times. Wow. Um, but sadly, Ben went to his hotel room and shot himself one night. Jesus. And, um, wow. you know, the iron, the, 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 the thing that was so, and not it was, is so heartbreaking. So on opening night, we had three chefs in recovery working in that kitchen wow. with five or more years of sobriety. Three <laughs> chefs that would have done anything to help Ben, would have dropped everything they were doing if he would have simply said, I can't seem to get this thing called sobriety. Can you? How are you doing it? Yeah. Um, and, and I was, you know, Chuck, I was so struck with uh, the question, what was it in Ben that he didn't feel like he could ask for help? Was it the society at large or was it specifically the restaurant culture? I think the answer is probably both. Um, but I wanted to start to change the conversation in my industry. I've been sober for 15 years at that point. I had long had the desire uh, as as I had started to see more people stay sober in the business, but also as I had started to see people get sober and believe they had to get out of the restaurant business, I, I had long had the desire to do something about that to support people in the business. Sure. So I went to my friend Mickey Bax. He's a restaurateur in Charleston, and I he's thirty nine years sober. Um, mm. And I said, you know, we got to we got to do something to change this narrative in the restaurant industry that we've got to make it okay to ask for help. So we started a weekly support group called mm. Ben's friends. Um, it's, uh, it, we, we intentionally, um, didn't affiliate ourselves with any 12 step groups sure. because of the anonymity yep. piece. Uh, and we believed and still believe that if you're going to change a decade, decade old decades, old culture of live hard, party hard in the restaurant business that we needed to be very out and very vocal about it. Um, we started the first Ben's Friends three years ago. About a year after that, um, Anthony Bourdain committed suicide. And, and, you know, I have a lot of friends who know him, knew him. He was really the voice of the modern day chef. Sure. And he he spoke to them in a way that, that they understood and I, 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 you know, I was a fan. I'd read the books. I watched the shows, but I didn't understand the impact when when he committed suicide. Suddenly, um, the Wall Street Journal started calling, the New York Times started calling, and then every chef who's gotten sober in America started emailing. Wow. We want to start a Ben's Friends in our city. <laughs> we want to start. So, I'm proud to say that in the last two years, we've gone from one Ben's Friends to six. Fantastic. Um, we're, we're, and we're growing. Our goal is 50 states. We want to be everywhere that restaurant people are trying to get sober. Um, a, 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 
it has become my life's purpose to be of service to my industry. Um, and so I always tell people, you know, reach out to us. We're at bensfriendshope.com. Um, you can see all the meetings listed there. You can email us if you need to talk. You can email us if you want to help. Um, but it is, um, I'm trying to honor Ben's life, but, but more importantly, I'm, I'm trying to help people in our industry. You know, people love me when I couldn't love myself in the restaurant industry. And to the degree that I can do that for others, uh, not only should I do it, I, I, I wake up every morning excited to do it. Um, I love restaurant people. I love the generosity of the souls that work in the business. We take care of people every night, um, you know, and, and we're just now learning to take care of ourselves. Yeah. And um, I would be dead if it wasn't for the restaurant industry. There's no question in my mind. Uh, so while it was a playground for a lot of bad behavior, and there were also people there that when I needed them most, stepped in and, and literally saved my life. Yeah. So Ben's Friends is, um, you just can't imagine that the, the people that we're, we have people celebrating two years, three years of sobriety. Yeah. And, and listen, I, I say this all the time, Chuck, one hour a week is not going to cure you. We're not presenting Ben's friends as a solution. Sure. It is a bridge to sobriety. It, you're going to meet people there that are going to most likely take you to an AA meeting or to therapy or to other forms of recovery. Yeah. But it is a landing place that restaurant people feel safe because they know it's their tribe. Yep. And, um, yeah, I'm just super grateful to, uh, to be of service. It's awesome. That is, that is just awesome, Steve. And if, you know, if the radio station or our network can help Ben's friends at all, uh, please know that, uh, that is, that is at your disposal in any way that it could be of use. Um, the, the, it, it's hard for someone who is not experienced watching someone else get well to come out of that place called incomprehensible demoralization to see them begin to become human beings again and participate in life. Uh, the, I'm involved with a, a, a nonprofit here in Chicago called the last chance house and it's an alcoholic men's short term uh, living facility and uh, short term ranges anywhere from I think our our quickest uh, uh, resident was there for 24 minutes uh, and we've had guys as long as eight months uh, and they're welcome to stay there as long as they need to in order to be able to acclimate back into you know quote normal life and uh, develop the tools and skills they need to learn how to live a sober life. Um, and there's nothing more gratifying than to see someone who is absolutely shattered, uh, at whatever age they are and whatever socioeconomic background they come from, but to see them, uh, begin to wake up and, and become unshackled and learn how to love themselves and become happy and joyous and free. Uh, it's an absolutely unbelievable experience that, uh, is, you know, pretty much kept within the recovery community because people outside that community don't understand that gratitude. They don't understand what, you know, how we feel 
And uh, so, to, you know, to have a, a group like Ben's Friends that is specific to the food and beverage industry uh, is great. And you mentioned it, 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 it's their tribe and it's their people talking to them about what Absolutely. they went through. And that's a really critical aspect for people to feel like they're with people that they belong with uh, that can you know, help them and understand them that, like nobody else does. Uh, so that's awesome. Um, and folks, you know, visit the website. It's bensfriendshope.com, bensfriendshope.com. Uh, if, if, you know, you're in the industry and, and you you need some help, uh, check it out, bensfriendshope.com. And as Steve said, uh, if you're, if you have questions, if you want to get more involved, if you want to help or take, uh, give or take, uh, you can get a hold of Steve through bensfriendshope.com and uh, check it out. And buy the book. Please buy the book. It's a great book. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book of hope. It's a book of uh, how to get well. And the experience, as I said at the beginning of our show, your story is not a, a, an uncommon one. Uh, but the route that you took to get where you are today is the story worth telling because you overcame a lot of obstacles. And, uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your taking the time to share your life and experience with us uh, this morning, Steve. Um, it means a well, lot. Thank you so much, Chuck. It was a pleasure to be on the show and, uh, hopefully we'll, uh, We'll meet each other soon. I I would love that. If you're ever in Chicago or if I'm ever in any of your restaurant cities, I will look you up. Um, and I mean that. I appreciate it very much. You know, sort of like we talked about the fraternity and the camaraderie, the recovery community has a special camaraderie to it, too, because we kind of know. We look at each other and know, yep, I know what you went through. Um, so... Uh, Again, folks, if you're out there and you're not sure what to do, you need help, reach out. Get a hold of me through the radio station. Call me uh, anytime, 847-292-2721. My email is chuckrmr at gmail.com. If you need help finding a place or wondering how the hell you get help, let me know. I'll guide you in the right direction. Uh, And that is the show, folks. This is Sober Radio. You're listening on AM 1590, FM 95.9, nationwide through the Smart Talk Radio Network. Again, I want to thank Steve Palmer for joining us this morning. Buy the book, Say Grace. Visit the website, bensfriendshope.com. And more importantly, if uh, you need help, don't be afraid. Uh, That first step is a doozy, but once you make it, You're going to uh, learn how to live a life that you probably never felt you were entitled to live. Um, That's it, folks. Thank you very much. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Enjoy. And uh, God bless. Peace. That's it. Goodbye, everybody. Steve, thank you very much, man. I appreciate that. And uh, uh, I'll, 